Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus told them another parable. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant said, Do you want us to go pull up the weeds? He says, No. He said, Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, Before I jump into the sermon on this passage and some other topics, I want to give you two announcements. One, we have a uh, pizza fundraiser right after service, so please stick around. I think it's like $3 a slice for cheese, $4 for pepperoni or give what you want, or you can buy a whole whole pizza. Um, this all, uh, the proceeds of this, the majority of the proceeds, you know, beyond his cost, go to help migrants in Chicago. So we'll be giving those resources to World Relief um, to help uh, those who are migrating um, here in buses from Venezuela looking for homes. And I'm, I'm sure you've, if you've been paying attention, you've uh, hopefully had your heart warmed uh, just going to the grocery store, driving around, walking seeing um, the challenges our city is facing in regard to this migrant crisis. Um, so we'd love to just play our part and enjoy it at the same time. Uh, and so we'll eat pizza together. Um, and then um, the other announcement was uh, we, are, um, we took a group survey of, like, how are you experience groups at Missio Day? Like, what do you want in a group? And we took that feedback in, and um, some of the things were uh, very clear. One is uh, most people in this stage of life that we're in, uh, once a month is about uh, uh, the right commitment pace for our city, for our age demographic here, um, those with kids. Um, the second thing that was very clear was like everyone really values commitment, but then experientially our group leaders were like, our people don't always show commitment. Um, so it's like there was this sense of um, uh, everybody's response was like, a good group is one has people are committed. That's the biggest common denominator of a good group. And then our experience was like, but yeah, our leaders are preparing a lot and not always. So what we're encouraging you to do, um, what we want to do is we want to do these things called table groups, which we will have a meal um, and at a host home uh, around Friendsgiving. So Friendsgiving meal, and then you're going to be a discussion around gratitude. Ad- Christmas in December will be a discussion around Advent, an Advent meal. January will be a, a conversation around practices and desires and things that line up with those cultural things of the year. And then February, when it's really cold and we're all sad, we'll talk about loneliness and community. Um, so uh, <laughs> those four months. So what I'm asking you to do is if you can only, if you can make three of the four, sign up. But if you can only make two of the four, don't sign up. Just hold off and then wait till that round is up. And then we'll reannounce this again. And um, so if you think like, I, I might try one, like just hold off. It's okay. Um, let us know you're interested so we can plan for the, the winter. Um, but just hold on. If you think, I can probably do three of those four, then sign up and, and we'll roll with it. Okay, cool. Um, uh, sign ups, there's like an email, that newsletter that goes out. If you don't get that, they're in that. You can see me after service. And um, yeah, so that's table groups. So excited about that. Okay, cool. You guys down with that? Is that okay? You guys, some of you interested? Uh, we'll see. Okay. Um, today we're finalizing our series on shift, the series we've been doing about like, you know, Phyllis Tickle, the, the 
Episcopalian writer. She wrote, like, every 500 years, the church has a rummage sale of ideas. Um, we, we're talking about these things lately of what are the ways we've done church that now that we know what we know and what the Spirit has done over the last 10 years, like, what are the ways we do church that we'll never go back to and what are the ways we'll move forward in? I think this shift is probably one of the most important. Um, today is about how do we conflict, like a new way to approach conflict, and instead of drawing lines, how do we have a shared center? Um, so a lot of this comes from a missionary, uh, an Anabaptist missionary named, um, uh, I think it's Paul Herb- Harbert, or if I'm pronouncing that right, Paul Herbert, and he used it, uh, math theory <laughs> to come up with a concept of how to do church in a way that, that has this idea of shared center. So I'm going to get into that today. I hope by the end of the talk that you are freshly awakened to um, the necessity of the Christian life and the church's presence in our society and the need for the Christian presence. And I would even broaden that to say religious presence of all faiths and the role we play. Our country is right now, especially with the war, at a huge risk of just completely being divided. I mean, it is the risk of our country being tethered, just completely sliced apart is so high. The role of the church is so important in our conversations in our world right now. And the role of the Christian space and the role of what Jesus inspires us to live is so crucial that this is the only space that we can have these kind of conversations. And it's a voice that's so missed in your algorithms, in your feeds, in your news. And unless you're going deep dive looking for it as an academic or something, you're going to never hear it. And I just think it's so important um, that you hear this today. So what I want to get into is... um, introduce you to the theory of Paul Herbert real quick. Um, And so what he said, there's a couple of churches. um, There's bounded set churches, fuzzy set churches, and um, centered set churches. So first, bounded set churches. So a boundary sets churches. This is probably what many of you, if you grew up in like a evangelical church in the 80s or 90s, like it's very familiar. Um, This would be like new members are focused on the cultural behaviors and beliefs expected that the leadership expects of the church and there's rules and behavior that you that help you determine like who's in and who's out so there's a clear boundary and there's a lot of different beliefs that uh, help define who's in and who's out Um, the fuzzy set then says like that's that's legalistic that's crazy like forget the lines and the fuzzy church there's no lines this happens in churches where the borders of belief are very ambiguous and basically non-existent. This can be not helpful either because this is kind of code for like, I won't hold you accountable for anything if you don't hold me accountable for anything. Um, and so there's like, there's a lot of radical inclusion, but there's not a sense of, of challenge. Um, and then the last one would be um, the, the, the centered set. And I'll go into these deeper, but I want to introduce them all to you first. Centered set is, is this idea of what if we make Jesus the center and what... There are no, there's no boundaries, but really like what we're thinking about individually as we're part of the group is where are our feet facing? Are our feet facing to Jesus or are they walking away from Jesus? Are they, are they moving, are they pointing towards the cross or going away? It's not our job to go around and look around where, where is everybody's feet, but there's a sense of like Jesus and that is the center. Um, so a, a really good illustration of this is in Australia. Um, Farms have acres upon acres upon acres. It would be economically unfeasible to build fences and boundaries to keep all the animals in these acres. Um, so what they decided to do to, to, that would work is to build a well 
and know that all the animals will stay on the property because of the well. And I believe that's like what God has called, it's kind of like what, what we're meant to be as a church, is this, is this centered set community, that we build the well of focusing on the life of Jesus. Jesus said that I am the way and the truth and the life. John 10.10 10 said the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but all of life has come through me, that we point people to the center of Jesus. Um, now, so those are the, kind of the three, um, three sets. I want to go, go a little deeper into these three. So the problem with the bounded set, back to the bounded set, my, we all are insecure individuals, right? Can we just all admit that? I'm deeply insecure, okay? Right now I'm wondering, what does he think of me? What do they think? Did, you know, um, did Brian iron his shirt today? Like, I don't, you know, like, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, what are you, uh, yeah, you know, uh, so, um, so, so there's these insecurities that come up in our brain. And in a bounded set community, my security is the line. The line is my, so this results in judgmentalism and conditional love, and the problem isn't having a line, right? The centered set, in a sense, there's a, the line is, you're saying is Jesus, in a sense. Um, rather, the way bounded churches use those lines to separate others in a judgmental way. Um, so why, why would we do that? Why would we do that? It's because we're insecure, and one good strategy to overcome that insecurity is to other people. Um, and so we categorize others, we can lift ourselves. Um, William... Willie Jennings, uh, a very deep thinker, um, writes a lot about land and race, and um, he talks about this and um, lifts up the writings of one of my favorite heroes, Howard Thurman. If, if we, my old seminary used to have these buses of heroes of the faith. We'll never buy buses, but if we had heroes of the faith for our church, Howard Thurman would be up there. He, he's a, 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 you know, a spiritual hero, I think, for, for, for many of our, us. And Howard Thurman talked about this sense of um, in segregation. Um, one, he writes a lot about to his people how to overcome hatred. And I just think about that and think, man, if, if after years of slavery and segregation, if, if this movement of the beloved community could say, we're united, no matter black or white or whatever, we're united over this cause, and we can overcome hatred and, and boundary line drawing, man, I just think about my own life, my own personal life, like my own relational Difficulties, Like, how much more should I be able to overcome that hate? But William Jennings talked about this sense of um, the way people form an identity is this, these lines. And um, the, there's invisible lines. There's a line within all of us. where These lines are, like, ingrained in our, our pedagogy or our way we learn. Um, and they're invisible. And I would say that there's no such thing as really good people and bad people. There's a line of good and evil that runs through all of us as well. So if you think about this, uh, let me just illustrate it this way. Um, so we're, we're, a church, we're a community here um, in 2050, and we've learned that uh, gluten wheat is toxic. Like, a lot of us believe that, and we're here to unite over that. And we have a pizza guy out here um, making wheat pizza, and he's this boundary line here. You see this boundary line? This wall of glass is the boundary. He's out there, and, you know, Fast Eddie, a.k.a. Cole, and he really, he doesn't believe in this. Like, he thinks it's a hoax. It's all propaganda. It's, it's something different, and we've united here because we've, we've learned. It's been 30 years since we've learned that wheat is toxic and creates cancer. Um, some, you know, this may, may be true now, but we, we, you know, so we, we are here because we're united under that, right? So a bounded set church would say, he's out and we're in. Now, this might be an invisible line, and 
Um, what Howard Thurman would write is what happened in the 60s with is this zone of agreement. It's a way to be nice and subtly nice to each other, but there's this clear, invisible line in all of us that we've created of the us and them. And so he's the outsider, and the Bounded Set Church would say, yeah, like, we'll, we'll be nice to you. We'll smile. We'll eat your pizza. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be nice to you. We're not going to eat the pizza because we don't believe in that. But um, deep down, you'll never belong here. Like, you're always going to be in our mind out there. Um, so that's, that's, that's the Bounded Set Church. And the problem on the inside of having to exclude, the problem is, like, when you belong to this kind of community, there's, we're all complex individuals, and there's part of your beliefs that you have to exclude and can't show up in this community. Because you knew if you were to show up with those beliefs, you would be excluded. And a boundary set church doesn't allow you to come up with those parts of you that differ from the group. Because you knew you would feel it. You would feel the exclusion. Um, And so, you know, how often does a boundary set church harp on sexual sin? And then there's an announcement of a leader who's practiced sexual abuse. Right? So that's an example. Um, And so unless, now, before we get all smug at Missy O'Day... Let's deal with the fact that bounded churches are not only found in conservative, fundamental churches. Progressive churches can also be bounded set. So there can be a culture that is judgmental, and we're taller than everyone else. Not me, but everybody else. And we're bounded, and the same fundamentalism exists on the left as it does on the right. So this, doesn't just, this isn't just like a conservative problem. This is like a cultural problem and for a variety of reasons, we, we, we create those boundaries, and it, it ferments and grows judgmentalism and communicates like a sense of conditional love. And the problem is not having a line. It's how we differentiate things that are acceptable and unacceptable. But rather, with a bounded church, use those lines to separate and categorize people. So um, that same kind of exclusion can exist on the far left or far right. And the oppressed, we know, can become the oppressor. We see this in Israel's history. Israel was oppressed in the Exodus. They are going out, and then Solomon becomes this royal figure, um, very much like uh, ruling again. And then we see all the prophets rise up and say, our poor, are, are, you're living in these cedar houses, and, these things, and our poor are hurting. Like, there's other people that are being oppressed because of us now. And so we know that this can happen. So we need to have boundaries. We have boundaries at Missio Day, right? Like we read the Justice Creed. We're saying this is the standard. We take communion. We show up at the same time. We, we, we are people who take communion and put it in. Those are all like kind of practical or belief boundaries, right? Like there's a sense of what we, we're about. But when we, when we remove all the boundaries, we become the fuzzy set. And that's where everyone's included and loved. And again, it's kind of um, individualism. Me is at the center, is the challenge with the fuzzy set. Haphazard activity in the community rather than purposeful engagement. It's kind of like, well, whatever. Um, we don't want to offend anyone. Every, you know, tolerance is the highest value, and that's, that, that, that's, that's progress. But then a grounded person doesn't really need relativism, but the life found in Jesus. Um, Mirazal Wolf, who writes a lot about conflict and um, has experienced war for decades in his country, says this about, in a fuzzy church, you will have aimless drifting instead of clear-sighted agency, haphazard activity instead of moral engagement and accountability, and in the end, 
a torpor, uh, a, a torpor of death. I don't know what torpor is, but it's a big word. A torpor of death instead of a dance of freedom. I like that part. And so then we look at the, the center church. So in the center church, where is my security? My, my security is in the center. It's in Jesus. My center isn't belonging. It's that I'm facing the center. Um, it doesn't require me to evaluate others. And so if you had a two-by-two, two, I don't have this up there, but if you had like a, a chart, you would have um, bounded set, high challenge, low inclusivity. Fuzzy set, high inclusivity, low challenge. And then a centered set, high inclusivity, high challenge. And so th- this sense that like we're still going towards Jesus. And I love this parable I read earlier. It's been on my mind a lot. That Jesus says, um, hey, there's this parable. There's, there's a field. There's an there's a owner of the field who's Jesus who, who, who planted wheat. And then the enemy comes along and planted weeds. And then this guy is wondering, how do we deal with this challenge that there's wheat and weeds together? He says, let me pull out the wheat. And he says, no, 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 don't do that. You'll pull up the wheat if you try to pull out the weeds. He says, let both of them grow together. That's just an amazing image for our day right now. This like sense of non-binary thinking, this sense of right, right, right now in the middle of the topic of Gaza and Israel, it's you pick a side and you are on my, I'm having loose conversations to wondering if you, are you on my side or not on my side. And, and instead of the, the church's role is to say like, Ashley has taught me this in the therapy world, a phrase that she often will maybe say to the therapist is both things can be true to a married couple, right? Both things can be true. Like we can, when we mourn the human condition, as the Christians were called to mourn the human suffering. Like you, we, we give space for Israel's, Israel to mourn the loss of 1,400 people, and we greatly mourn the, the loss of over now 6,000 and the, horos, the, the horrific, horrific things going on in Gaza. And, and, and both things can be true. And, um, but the, but the, our society says, no, you must pick. You must be on one side or not. And we're trying to size up everybody to see which side you're on in this conversation. And I really believe more and more the older I get, God doesn't care so much about if I'm right. He cares if I'm connected. He's not like fixated on, are you right or wrong on this issue? He's like, are you connected to me? And the wheat and the tares analogy removes all sense of judgment. It doesn't mean that there's not a right and wrong. He says, one day I'll, I'll sort that out. But it is not your job to judge. It is not your job to sort that out. And I think this is true societally, and I think this is true pastorally, individually. How many times in your life have you been in that mode of like self-development and self-growth? And you're like, I don't know how many times I've had like the Holy Spirit stirring me things that I need to change. And instead of being patient with what God wants to do, I try to pluck out the weeds in my life. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get them out. And in the midst, years later, I'm like, wow, I was pulling up wheat. I didn't realize, like, I was so fixated on this thing, and maybe I was pulling up good things while I was so fixated on what I thought was I got to get rid of these bad things. And so even in our own growth, I want to ask you personally, um, are you, have you forgotten God's patience with yourself? Have you forgotten how patient God, if this is true societally of the wheat and the tares, how much more true is this of you as you grow as a Christian, as you grow in faith, that God is so patient with you, you don't have to rush to pull out all the weeds in your life. I know this kind of sounds a little hypocrit- like heret- heret- heretical for some, but like, I think that's so true that like, God will figure that out. God will, with patience, we've, we've got to remember God's patience with our own life individually. And we've been discipled by perfectionism. The human condition is to label, dismiss, isolate from our neighbor. We're hasty to point out what doesn't belong 
Like a perfectionist who walks in the room and notices all the mistakes. We have the tendency to do that with people in groups. We have the tendency to think we are the wheat and they are the weeds. We are prone to judgment, and this invites us to slow down. That's what this parable does. The ability to separate weed and wheat, we don't possess that ability. We are so easily prone to divide the world in us and them, but let the kingdom of God simply see in us and let God sort out the distinctions. And um, so we're, we're invited into kind of this like holy patience that allows us to grow. The things that we perceive as good and evil to grow together and let God sort them out. This is like the great project of acceptance. There's a great, this is the great like, we find things that bother us and irritate us, and we might see them as character flaws, right, in other people. But in us, it's just our circumstance when it happens for us. That's why I'm so ill and grumpy. It's my circumstance. In them, it's a character issue, but for me, it's, it's circumstantial. And so we have these lines. In our church, uh, the one way I think about this for our church is kind of like the like one, twos, and threes of theology. Let me explain. Ones, we would say, are... The Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed. They're like, that's the center. That's the things about Jesus that have been true across churches, across denominations for thousands of years. And then there's the threes, which are all the beliefs that divide us um, as Christians, right? Like if, you know, someone believed in, you know, Jesus has to come back in a thousand years at the end time, something like that, where our church is like, we don't really... We don't really believe in getting fixated on that. So, so there's all these different beliefs. Infant baptism versus believer's baptism. You know, can you, can you use marijuana? Can you drink? Like, you go to birth control. Like, just go down the line, every single thing. Like, can you wear yoga pants? I mean, I know that's, that's a thing, okay? That's a thing. Like, can you wear yoga pants? Like, in Chicago, yes, you can. Okay, so, um, here, so here, here we go. So there's just this lineage, right? And let's just zoom out from the Christian world. Let's just go societal and think about the things, like in the Bible, there was these things called purity codes. Like Jesus had to wash his hands before a meal. If not, he was considered unclean. We have purity codes as a society that are these invisible lines that we create. I wrote these down a few years ago, and I was actually interested to see one change, um, and uh, I wrote this like a year ago. And so here's my list of purity codes that our society faces today. Advert that were used to be not moral, but now feel moral. Um, advertising to children. Automobile safety. Big box chain stores. Corporate owned farms. Clothing from third world factories. Defense funded research. Disposable diapers. Ethnic jokes. Executive salaries, fast food, flirting in the workplace, food additives, processed foods, fur, IQ test, logging, oil drilling, nuclear power, owning certain stocks, poultry farms, public holidays, research on stem cells, spanking, time out, I would add now, sugar, urban sprawl, toy guns, Violence on television, Barbie dolls, that was one. Now I don't know if that's moral anymore because the movie. Um, so, and then my favorite, which I get really passionate about, is well-done steak. I hate well-done steak. I'm sorry, but if you, if you eat your steak well-done, I am sorry. I am out the boundary. Um, that, that's, that's super passionate for me is a good medium-rare steak. But you look at that list, and these are increasingly becoming moral of who's the us and them. And I don't know about you, but as an individual, how on earth can you live up to this? 
How can you do all these things? If you, if you, or, you know, hear something that's ethically wrong with one of these things, there's no way you can survive in our society and, and measure up. And so this us-them boundary-set thinking, the church has to, has to think of, remind ourselves of we are followers of Jesus and another kingdom, not political ideologies that are always vying for our attention and belonging. We have to be, not, not saying that you can't have that political affiliation, that's, that's fine. But we have to, as a church, move, we have to elevate the conversation. That Jesus' kingdom is a third way. It's a, he's, there's a different kingdom that we belong to. Um, and so, um, as we go through this and think about the, these different ways of thinking, I think about Jesus, he said, I pray for those who believe in me. Their goal is they would be one in heart and mind, just as you are in me and I in you. The world might believe you sent me. Be unified as we are. Then he says, then they will be mature in this oneness and give evidence that you sent me by the unity of the church. So he said, like, how will the church know that God is real? It's by our unity. So that when we are differ, then back to the one, two, three. So there's all these different things. And then two is the unity of the church. And two comes before three. Because our unity in the one is more important than the, our beliefs of the threes, the categories of the threes. And that's what the center set does. It's high on challenge towards Jesus, but it is high on inclusivity. Um, and so we're in this place where we have to, as Christians, remind society that we need less judgmentalism, more curiosity. We need a lot more compassion and less contempt, a lot less fear and more trust, a lot less need for certainty and more room for ambiguity. And we need to replace being right with humility, where people feel and experience this. They, when, when you have conversations, people feel and experience our boundedness. Um, and it, not that we can't have convictions. We should have convictions. But we need to make room for the other Um, Howard Thurman said this, a couple of slides down. Wherever his spirit appears, the oppressed gather fresh courage, for he announced the good news that fear, hypocrisy, and hatred, the three hounds of hell, the track, the trail of the disinherited, need have no dominion over them. But what does it look like in your life? The, The hounds of hell, fear, hypocrisy, and hatred in your life to be be held in check. Um, to create this kind of inclusive, high-inclusive, high-challenge community. Um, How do we remain bridge builders in a time of war like this? How do we look at both sides and go, oh, my heart breaks? Both sides can be true. I have personal leanings of what I think. Our church doesn't have stance on these things. But I have to take a step back and go that, like, this high-conflict culture that we're in right now, it's a perpetual emotion machine where each side is morally superior of us and them. And there's either win or lose. And, and the hard, deep things where complexities, like we have to be people where we allow complexity and we allow compassion. Do you have room for complexity in your view? Are you slowing down instead of just looking the easy way out of let me find the figurehead that I trust and listen to what they say and just believe it because that's easy? Or do I slow down and really think through the complexities and the compassion in this moment? Um, And so 
right now with the you know with the war, um, it's so despairing. Like I have friends. My my daughter went to you know her first concert this year, right? And to think of this music festival, you know, when that happened in Israel, my mind with Hamas killed hundreds of Jews. I, my mind was like, I just can't even go there. Um, but then I know people who've deeply impacted, who are Palestinian, that are my friends in Chicago, and so horrible. The conditions are so tragic. I can't almost watch it, and it's so numbing to go from watching reels of the horrificness to going to World Series baseball on my feet, and it just creates this sickening feeling to be able to just... The way we receive information is impactful. And the first thing I do is I reach out to everyone that I'm connected to with compassion, um, with messages of care. But the second thing I think the church calls us to do is, I love Mr. Rogers' line, right? Like, there's a tragedy, look for the helpers. And um, I know it's hard to know how to help, but I think the one thing you can do is to reach out. Reach out to people that are hurting because they feel connected to what's going on in Israel and Gaza. Reach out. Um, reach out and be there for people. And I pray that just personally that you know that the line of good and evil lines through all of us. Every single one of us. It's not out there. There's that in us and there's a sense of invisible lines that we create. How do you... How do you recognize that and humble yourself and go, you know what, like, this is, the human condition is so much greater than these camps that we get caught in. Um, as Christians, can we think more deeply about how we conflict? We, we point Jesus to the center um, rather than trying to create these boundaries in our community, the issues we face. So just closing a couple of questions. Um, where have we left one bounded set and exchanged it for another bounded set? Have you left one form of boundary setting of what you grew up with that maybe did harm and then exchanged it for another boundary set? One question. And then in what, what ways, this supposed to be ways, are we bounded at Missio Day? What ways do we have boundaries here? We have to recognize that we're not the thing. <laughs> That's the example. We're, who do we not welcome? Like who's not welcome in this space? And what perspectives would we never listen to in this community? Um, so we have to have that evaluation of our own selves as a community to go to say, who was not welcome here? Um, I don't, you know, and that's something for us to explore collectively, to, for, for your voice to be shared with leadership, with elders, to others like, you know, this is something that I think about with that question and how do we create these conversations. So I um, just want to leave you with that. I don't, that's all I got today. I don't have a profound ending. Um, but I think it's just important to, to live into this, um, to, to pray and to consider this us-them that we create and how we remove that and be the peacemakers that Jesus has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we we thank you um, for the example of Jesus that says, don't don't worry about, let the weeds and the wheat grow together. Like, wow, that's radical. Um, The sense of the people that we feel are wheat and the people we feel are weeds and how we all see ourselves as the wheat and others as the weeds. And God, remove that sense of binary thinking, this us-them mentality um, in us. Help us think more like you, Jesus, that says, you know, these, it's not your job to, to determine that. Um, 
that we could just maintain connection to you and trust that you'll sort out justice in the end. Um, So God, we pray and thank you for we can see both sides of conversations. We can see both complexity and compassion in the midst of this world we're in right now that's just so easily saying, get on the right side or else. So God, may we show people there's a third way. It doesn't have to be the left or the right. There's a third way, the way of Jesus, the nonviolent love of Jesus that shows us what it looks like to be a part of a beloved community that has a strong standard of Jesus, but also is high on including others. May we be your church. In Jesus' name, amen.